From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, opposition is mounting to some of President Biden's more extreme nominees, like Wendy Sherman, tapped for Deputy Secretary of State. Sherman is the former director of the pro-abortion political action committee, Emily's List. Florida Senator Marco Rubio says Sherman is not only a pro-abortion activist, but she is also not qualified to be the next Deputy Secretary of State. Senator Rubio joins us in a moment to talk nominations and the bipartisan effort he is leading to address the forced labor of Uyghur Muslims in China. And speaking of the opposition to nominees. Let it go into the record that the witness refused to answer the question. The question is a very specific one. Should minors be making these momentous decisions? That was Republican Senator Rand Paul trying to get an answer from President Biden's nominee for Assistant Secretary health and human services, Rachel Levine. Levine, a man choosing to live as a woman. Senator Paul was asking a very straightforward question. Why did Levine refuse to answer? Well, Senator Rand Paul is here later. And the CDC is out with new guidelines for those who have received the COVID-19 shot. What changes when you have the shot? Well, according to the CDC guidelines, not much. So when will the government's control of our lives end? We'll talk about these new guidelines with Dr. Andrew Bostom, Associate Professor of Family Medicine at Brown University. And speaking of the coronavirus, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchison is here responding to President Joe Biden's derogatory comments about the red states that are giving the green light to opening back up. The last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It still matters. Governor Hutchison's response? That's not caveman thinking, that's common sense. Well, Governor Hutchison joins us on this and some breaking news out of Arkansas. Just about an hour ago, a near-total ban on abortion signed into law by Governor Hutchison. We'll hear more when Governor Hutchison joins us later here on Washington Watch. And finally, back on the topic of transgenderism, state legislatures are moving swiftly to counter the efforts of the Biden administration to force the transgender agenda on America. Arkansas State Representative Robin Lundstrom joins us to explain her bill, the SAFE Act, later on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything on your way home tonight, it's all archived right there, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the conservative free speech platform of Gab, you can follow me at Tony underscore Perkins. That's at Tony underscore Perkins on Gab. If you're not on Gab, you can get on Gab, gab gab.com. All right. Ambassador Wendy Sherman is now being considered for Deputy Secretary of State after serving as Undersecretary of State for Obama, former President Obama, from 2011 to 2015. The question is, is she qualified for the position? Well, if we take a look at some of the uh, downright dangerous foreign policies that came out of those four years, we can very quickly find our answer. But also, Sherman's record on abortion is enough to make anyone do a double take as to why she is being considered for this job. Joining me now to talk about this and his bill, bipartisan bill, I should say, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act is U.S. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. Senator, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back on. Well, you uh, outline in an op-ed you, you, uh, your concern, the problems that you see with uh, Sherman filling this high-level post in the Biden administration. What are the biggest red flags for you? 
Well, I think you've highlighted, you've highlighted some of them already, which is her previous service. But she's also, you know, listen, she, she's a political operative who has served in diplomatic posts, but her political operative background comes into play. You see it become uh, apparent in, in her service in the past, um, as, for example, the Iran deal, um, and, and as well as a, she was a sort of full-blown uh, advocate for the um, old uh, notion that somehow we should be doing more with 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 China, you know, she said uh, in an op-ed piece that she wrote last summer. Uh, she viciously attacked the Trump administration on a host of issues, Cuba, Venezuela, which, by the way, in the hearing she couldn't point out to what disagreements she had with those policies. But in the case of China, she says, well, we should be looking for ways to work with them on deals on things like climate change. China is the world's greatest polluter. I mean, last year alone, they they built a historic number of coal plants. Not to mention, you know, financing them all over the world. And they've never signed a deal they've ever kept in the, or or not sort of walked away from and undermined. So th- there's a host of reasons, but I think that it all tracks back to one thing. And this is a liberal political operative uh, operating inside of the State Department. Well, one of the things that drew my attention uh, in your op-ed was to the fact that she was one of the first directors of EMILY's List, which is uh, the most aggressive when it comes to electing individuals who have, uh, you know, an orthodox view of the left's policy on abortion. And the State Department has a history up until this last administration to exporting uh, this liberal view of abortion, in fact, forcing it on other states when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I mean, and and by the way, when we talk about forcing it, it's conditioning funding on its availability and or the direct fund, the funding of it by getting rid of the Mexico City policy now that opens the door to that. Always, of course, under, you know, couched as reproductive services and women's health issues. But in fact, it's nothing but an effort to, uh, as I said, you know, promote and fund uh, the uh, performing abortions in other countries, and in many cases in countries where that is still not widely accepted. They, they still hold traditional views right. on that issue. I mean, I've talked to a number of those foreign ambassadors. I'm sure you've talked to more of them, especially during the Barack Obama years, whose arms were twisted, that they had to change their laws on abortion and even on marriage. They were forcing them to change their view of human sexuality as a condition for uh, foreign aid from the United States. Well, and that's the again, that's the exporting the cultural and social agenda of one part of the country uh, on the rest of the world as part of our foreign policy. Which, at the core, our foreign policy is about protecting America's national interests, our national security, our alliances that contribute to our national security, and hopefully as well to the stability of countries, so you don't have migratory crisis, and you don't have wars, and you don't have the rise of terrorism. And that's the point of global diplomacy, not to take you know, the political viewpoints of domestic policies and then superimpose them upon other cultures and countries. Now, you know, democracy, that's a unifying principle. We should always, we can't impose democracy. We're supportive of it. But these are cultural issues that go right to the heart of the values uh, of of any country. We we shouldn't be imposing those sorts of things. We've seen one of the president's nominees, uh, Neera Tandon, had to withdraw uh, is there a chance we might see another one like uh, Sherman have to withdraw because of the controversy surrounding her? Well, unfortunately, I think the controversy is over issues that um, that 
I don't think any Democrat's going to break on, and that, that's unfortunate. You know, honestly, I mean, I don't like the things that Nair Tandon put out there, but I, I think her nomination in terms of danger to the country is far – if you told me, you know, one nominee was going to run into problems, I would have rather had that been, for example, the, this individual who's going to head the Department of, of, uh, of Health and Human Services, who right. has no background in, in health and human services, but does have a, a background as a woke – a social cultural warrior who has gone after religious entities like hospitals looking to religiously based hospitals looking to merge um, you know fighting against the federal government on the little sisters of the poor on and, and and those sorts of things I'm very concerned about the power that agency has over so much of our lives so uh, I wish I had been that nomination instead yeah Javier Becerra in fact uh, senator when you you just passed you didn't but the Senate passed, approved a $1.9 trillion uh, relief bill to address the COVID-19. And we're told we're in such dire straits, we need this. But yet this administration advancing an individual to head up our top health organization that doesn't have a lick of experience when it comes to health care. No, no. And, and but the power of that agency is extraordinary. So he was the attorney general of California. And he fully utilized that office to fight the culture war. And I think we can anticipate the same. And it's unfortunate because faith-based organizations provide extraordinary uh, contribution in our country to our healthcare systems. You know, the first hospitals in the world were yeah. faith-based. And, and, and to this day in America, faith-based organizations provide community care, oftentimes to those who are the most vulnerable, the uninsured, the poor, and, um, and others. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be concerned about there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you, you've mentioned uh, a lot about China. I want to shift to the issue of China because you've been leading for some time a uh, bipartisan effort to address the forced labor uh, issue in China with the Uyghur Muslims, where they are being uh, interned into these you know, labor camps, concentration camps and uh, forced into labor um, to do labor without compensation. You have uh, re that bill has been reintroduced in this Congress, has it not? It has, and and you know, it's unfortunate that we've got these co corporations in America who are quietly but vociferous, but 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 aggressively lobbying to to keep it from happening. And you wonder why they all claim they don't use forced labor, and yet uh, that you wonder whether at least some of their supply chain is linked to it as a result of it. I suspect the answer is probably yes, which is why they don't want the liability that comes with it. Look, it's a horrifying human rights violation of men and women who are, are not just being for, bad enough as it is that they're being forced into these camps to do labor. They're not just labor camps. They are designed to strip yeah. them of their religious and right. cultural identity. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, we've, we've read, we've seen the BBC recent reports of uh, mass rapes, um, and just the things that are happening there. But I, but I want to zero in on some. You brought something up that I, I don't want people to miss, and that was the, the role of U.S. business. Chamber of Commerce actually opposed the last version of this bill coming out. I was shocked that they would be so brazen as to, to oppose it. But China's most favored nation status was made permanent 20 years ago. And one of the arguments was that opening trade with China would allow America to export not only our products but our values – and that was supposed to transform China into a nation that respected human rights. But now, 20 years later, it appears the U.S. is not only running a trade deficit with China, but a values deficit as well. China has impacted our business, our Fortune 500 com companies, more than we've impacted them. Well, it's worse than that, too. I mean, in addition to – right, that's exactly right. They deputize 
companies, you know, the price of doing business in China, the price of having access to their market is, is to come back to Washington and lobby policymakers in favor of their preferred st- uh, policies. But it's also our movies. I mean, our movies, our yeah. entertainment is now being censored so that it, because the, to the, the, you know, the content, so you, you can't, so that it can play in Chinese theaters because it's such a huge market. So it's, it's infiltrated our universities uh, in many cases who have silenced speakers on campus critical of China in order to not lose their multi-million dollar partnerships over there. And, and, and those same entities, Hollywood, these Fortune 500 companies are lecturing us about social justice. Yeah, look, unfortunately, you have the rise in America of, a, of an unelected oligarchy in academia, in entertainment, in media, and in corporate America. And every answer they have to every problem is about perpetuating that power and, and that wealth that they've created. But every time, every answer to every problem is something that's bad for working Americans. You name it, from climate change to social justice, it's something that either goes against the common sense value, uh, the common sense wisdom, or the working class values of working Americans. Yeah, ab- absolutely correct. Senator Marco Rubio, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll be tracking uh, the Forced Labor Prevention Act. Uh, hopefully, as it makes its way through the process. Uh, thank you. All right, Senator Marco Rubio of uh, Florida. All right, coming up, we'll talk about Rachel Levine, her nominate, his nomination. Uh, boy, this gets difficult. Uh, he's a man acting as a woman. He's been nominated by Biden as the HHS second assistant secretary. Now, we're going to talk to Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, who asked a very straightforward question. But uh, Mr. Levine, Miss, Miss, uh, whatever, couldn't answer the question. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, 
Check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the world's foremost violator of religious freedom. To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Do you support the government intervening to override the parents' consent to give a child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and or amputation surgery of breast and genitalia. You have said that you're willing to accelerate the protocols for street kids. I'm alarmed that poor kids with no parents who are homeless and distraught, you would just go through this and allow that to happen to a minor. Well, and we were just talking about the alarming nomination of the assistant secretary of state and now i want to talk about uh, actually the deputy secretary of state now i want to talk about the nomination of rachel levine a man biological man who is uh, choosing to live as a woman who has been nominated by joe biden as assistant secretary for the department of health and human services now you just heard an exchange during the confirmation hearing of levine uh, with senator Rand paul who was asking a very straightforward question about whether or not, essentially, Levine was going to push this radical transgender policy over the wishes of parents, usurping the role of parents. Joining me now to talk more about this, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. Senator, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. Well, first, I I want to commend you for asking, I think, a very important question, asking it very directly, and, of course, the outcome was predictable. Uh, Levine avoided answering your question, repeating like a robot the same answer over and over, but also predictable was the press, saying that you engaged in, in this transphobia when you were simply asking a very straightforward policy question. Did you ever get an answer post-hearing? No answer whatsoever. And what's amazing about being labeled as a hater is I never even mentioned Levine or the surgery and things that she's done to herself. I never mentioned that at all. I just asked whether a minor, whether a 10-year-old could override their parental consent. So your parents say, you're 10 years old and you're not going to do this. And then the 10-year-old says, no, I am. And then the government would adjudicate that as the minor having the right to overrule their parents. I think that's horrendous to imagine that. People also need to realize what's going on in these clinics. Um, 
10% of the kids are between the ages of 3 and 10. And when they go in, see, these people have changed the language. It's Orwellian. They say they're affirming the child's identity. What they do is if the child is confused and says this, four or five people will come up to them and say, oh, we love you. And, you know, we really you're so strong. and You're so brave. and It's a great decision. No one's telling them the opposite. The people who work in these clinics are often people who've undergone these surgeries or done these things to themselves. It's one opinion that they're hearing, and then their parents would be overruled. I just can't imagine anybody, and I think there's actually more people in our country, mainstream people, who actually some of them vote independent and Democrat, that would be horrified to think that a 10-year-old would be sort of goaded into these and groomed into these decisions I don't know. I think her, her Levine's answer is so far out the mainstream that I want people to hear about it. But instead, they labeled me a hater so uh, to try to not have anybody pay attention to the real argument. Uh, so, Senator Paul, you're also a doctor. So let me ask you a medical question. In what other category do we allow young people, and I'm going to take 10 years old, to make medical decisions, life-altering decisions, without input from their parents? Almost zero, but I would say that the one area where they've pushed this and where we've had this debate before is with minors and abortion, right. that they, they, don't, they, they want the minor to be able to make a decision, their parents not to know that they're having this horrific thing done, you know, a 15-, 16-year-old girl, but not only that um, – for the child, is it a horrific thing? But also, it's a major surgery that the 15-year-olds undergoing without their parental consent. In that area, they've been in it. But in traditional medicine, I worked as an ER doctor for several years. If your child came in and had a cut on their finger, and you weren't with them, and a neighbor brought them in, we would say, "Well, we're going to clean it up, and we're going to wait uh, till mom and dad get here." We wouldn't do anything, even the minor scratch or bruises. We would never do it because they need the advocate. They need their parent there to be to be there. And see, medicine's kind of funny. You might have fallen off your bike and have a bruise on your stomach, and she's, the kid could say they're really sore, but it could be a ruptured spleen, and they could die, and you have to do life-threatening surgery. But almost unless something's acute, you're always asking the parents. The parents are always involved with it, even if it's by phone if they can't get there for an emergency. But um, that's all turned on its head because – these people aren't talking about science or medicine. They're talking about, um, you know, a political extremist uh, philosophy that they want to push on kids and push on society. But it's really not med medicine as, uh, per se. So it's the, the political carve outs for abortion and these uh, transgender procedures that, as you say, have nothing to do with health care, but have more to do with advancing an agenda. Now, you also have uh, brought up the issue of sports, of women's sports, and what this uh, whole agenda would do to women's sports. Yeah, this one really rubs me wrong. And also, um, my wife as well, she wrote something recently that was published about the, the two boys that are running in the girls' track meet. So when the guy that Biden has appointed to be head of education was the head of Connecticut and ask him, oh, because it's like, my goodness, do you think it's really fair to have boys running in the girls' track meet? They win all the medals. They stand about a foot taller, and uh, nobody thinks that's fair. And I actually think that there are people that are going to eventually, you know, leave people. They, you know, Biden says, oh, he's Main Street Joe. He's middle class Joe, you know, working class values. Well, these aren't working class values. These are no. bizarre, extreme things. 
that most people look a lot of people who are moderate or even liberal have girls that run track or swimming that don't think it would be fair to have boys in those sports but it's the extreme agenda of people way way out on the left is ruling the democrat party now yeah and i will uh, i will quote you from what you said in committee in response to uh, the secretary's uh, of education the nominee bizarre absolutely bizarre and, uh, and and thank you senator Rand paul for joining us today but also for uh, for speaking truth for uh, you know not not holding back well thank you thanks for having me Johnny. absolutely senator Rand paul of kentucky find out more go to the website tonyperkins.com all right coming up next new cdc guidelines for once you get the vaccine or the shot the covid 19 shot what changes well, actually, according to the guidelines, not a whole lot. We're going to be talking about these new guidelines with Dr. Andrew Bostom, clinical trialist and associate professor of family medicine at Brown University, joins me next. Don't go away. Coming right back after this. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive. And many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I'd definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download, or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Gab, that's Gab.com. It's at Tony underscore Perkins. All right, the CDC out with some new guidelines on what happens after you're vaccinated. Now, I, I find this interesting. It was about 12 months ago, almost to this, I think, this week. 12 months ago, we were told 15 days to slow the spread. 
That was fifth. That was twelve months ago. Uh, so here we are. We now we're told we just got to get the vaccine and we can. Uh, it's really a shot. It's like a flu shot. It's a COVID nineteen shot. We get the shot and we get back to normal. And so states are beginning to open back up. And of course, uh, we'll talk more about that with uh, Asa Hutchinson next. The president calling those who are opening their states in the Anderthals. Hmm, that's interesting. But the CDC out with new guidelines uh, about those who are vaccinated and what changes once you get the vaccine. I was literally shocked that they put this in writing. Well, join me now to talk more about these CDC guidelines. Dr. Andrew Bostom, clinical trialist and associate professor of family medicine at Brown University. Uh, Doctor, welcome back to the program. Uh, Thanks for having me, Tony. So um, what do you think of these new guidelines? Well, I, I mean, I'm not surprised, uh, given given CDC's track record on all this. Um, uh, but it, I just wanted the, the point of emphasis for me is is that um, other other than than mute, you know people that are both vaccinated, parties that are both vaccinated, it, it does really very little to change the status quo. Right. Um, th- th- those are the only people that uh, allegedly can get together without uh, masking. Um, and it really does, you know, since, since masking is sort of, it's really the talisman of all of this now, Tony. Um, it's, it's really important for people to understand um, just, just what we know about masking uh, from, from what's, what's been the gold standard. You know, I've been, I've been a physical therapist and a physician now for 40 years and went from one right, right to the other beginning back in 1980. And, you know, that whole period has been marked by what's called evidence-based medicine. I learned, I learned about this in both, both training for a PT, then working for a few years, and then going back to school for medicine. Um, and the gold, that, that gold standard meant that, you know, we were no longer going to base interventions from something as simple as a mask to something as complicated as, you know, this remarkable development of three vaccines in such a short period of time. They all had to be tested by randomized controlled trials. To, to gauge efficacy, and I can tell you that, and you know, it's not publicized any longer by the CDC. It used to be, um, but since 2008, there have been 12 randomized controlled trials of masking versus not masking to control respiratory viral infections, and and finally there was one uh, that was done with COVID itself, um, and they share one thing in common: every single one of them has been negative. Now, I've never heard in my now, you know, 40-year career as a, as a healthcare uh, professional that you take 12 years worth of negative evidence and just ignore it and then rely on rather flimsy observational studies, you know, which were supposed to be superseded over the past 40 years by, by actually conducting clinical trials and, and basing your interventions on clinical trials. And so it's very disconcerting. Um, and, and, and we, and we, you know, if you want to use the standards that the, that CDC uses, we have all kinds of observational data, Tony, which show that that mask mandates have done nothing. Or uh, whether you look at you compare states with softer or absent ma- mandates versus those that had very rigid ones, or even within states, if you compare counties, we just don't see any difference in the infection curves and what what are called right. the the epidemic curves. Well, and, and, when and I so read, I, I just don't understand this. It, it, so again, it's become it's become a, it's become a, a a like a virtue signaling thing. 
It, it is, but I think it's it's about government control. I think it's conditioning for the the public. But it, to, to me, I think there should be outrage with what the CDC guidelines give. You you stated it, but I I want the first page. I mean, I downloaded this. I'm I'm reading it from what I downloaded. Good. Um, Good. So what changed? If you've been fully vaccinated, you can gather indoors with fully vaccinated people without wearing a mask. Well, what's the point? I mean, if I thought if you got the vaccine or it's really a shot, it's not a vaccine. It's a shot. It keeps you from getting it. It's like the flu shot. Um, I thought you were supposed to be protected. Well, well, yeah. I mean, look, the clinical trials that have been done with the three major vaccines that are that are available, certainly in the United States now, um, the, the, the Pfizer, the Moderna and the J&J vaccine, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you know, compared to the control groups that were in these trials, so it's you know it's pretty focused on on what those trials actually were. Um, the the two they're called mRNA vaccines, the the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, give you about a ninety percent protection relative to the control group. As you know, in this in these studies, the the the, the J and J was more like sixty five to seventy percent. So there, there certainly appeared to be a benefit. Um, uh, but, but, you know, Tony, if you look now at, we have long-term follow-up. I just reviewed some data, um, from really from, from around the world, from, from the UK, from Israel, from Germany, and from even from Qatar, looking at very large cohorts of persons that had been infect, infected in those pers- those countries' first waves and following them forward. And it's, it's, it's about, it's about a, a couple of tenths of a percent of those people that get reinfected over the over observational periods that that extend out to 10 months so that's at least as good as being vaccinated so the other thing that was glaringly missing from the cdc was what about people that have been infected and recovered right right they have their natural immunity appears to be at least as good as the vaccine right like me i've i've got that got the antibodies dr bostrom we're out of time but i want to thanks for for thank you for joining us and uh, we'll continue this conversation another day um, folks i think it's about control 15 days 15 months 15 years who knows coming up next governor of arkansas don't go away get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day listen to washington watch with tony perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. 
there is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservatives, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime everything's fine take off your mask forget it it still matters we're joining me now to talk about a Neanderthal, Neanderthal thinking those states those red states that want to give the green light to their economies to their freedom uh, allow people to open back up you know, remember it was I just we just talked about this with the new CDC guidelines. It was 15 days to slow the spread. That was 12 months ago. It's about time uh, to open our communities, our economies, our schools, our churches. It's time to open back up. One of the governors doing that, Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas. Governor, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Tony. It is uh, great to be with you today and to hear the uh, sound of uh, freedom and uh and a good balance as we uh, continue to fight this pandemic. Uh, it is. It's a balance, but personal responsibility, but not government control of every aspect of our lives. Well, no doubt about it. And in Arkansas, we had enormous pressure, just like everywhere else, to uh, shelter in place back last uh, April. I was one of the few states that we did not uh, shut down the economy. We kept it going. Uh, we obviously put uh, public health uh, requirements in place, and because of that, we uh, our economy is is good today. Uh, we've got a surplus in our budget, and uh, we have just lifted uh, all the restrictions on our businesses, uh, which was very important uh, because they know what to do. We're different position than we were last March when everybody was struggling to know exactly how to handle right. it. Right. So we took a very cautious approach. Everybody's been educated. People can make the uh, right decisions uh, and make choices, but uh, we need to have more flexibility to give people the opportunity to make a living and have a job. It's, a, it's an extremely good point. We know a whole lot more than we knew 12 months ago. Um, we've we've got the experience. We've seen, you know, we've seen the effects of this. We now have the vaccine rolling out, the shot rolling out. But unfortunately, it looks like the federal government's still locked in this one size fits all. And I, I think that was what was behind President Biden's comments that those states that are opening up, it's Neanderthal thinking. 
Well, that's right, and this is not caveman thinking. It is uh, uh, it is freedom-loving people that uh, understand that there's only so long you can keep, keep the American spirit down, and uh, people know what to do now. They don't need to be told. It is a matter of common sense and courteousness that uh, as how you conduct yourself, right. and it's not a matter of government mandates. And people have a choice. If you go into a restaurant – you don't feel uh, comfortable because they're not following guidelines. Uh, you can uh, choose to go somewhere else. Uh, right. If somebody's not wearing a mask, you can make sure you keep your distance and you can wear a mask. People can make good decisions now because they know what to do. Yeah, I, I, I could not agree more. I mean, if you've got if you've got underlying health issues, maybe you need to limit where you go. In fact, I I don't go out just because I don't want the hassle. Uh, especially in D.C., where everybody you got we got people out running wearing masks. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, oh. the, the government mandates. Um, so I, I applaud you, uh, Governor Hutchinson, for 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 taking that stand. And I think, you know, this shows the difference between red and blue states. Red states have common sense. Blue states uh, look for the federal government to bail them out because they've shut down their economies, which is what we see uh, in this uh, latest relief bill. Uh, I, I want to transition for just a minute because just uh, a little over an hour ago, I believe it was, uh, earlier this afternoon, you signed into law a, uh, a piece of legislation that will put Arkansas really at the forefront of the pro-life movement, a near total ban on abortion. Senator Jason Rappert and uh, Mary Bentley, Representative Mary Bentley, leading the way on that. Um, tell us about that. Well, it is uh, intentionally designed to uh, reverse Roe versus Wade. It is a law that uh, prohibits uh, abortion, except uh, in the case of the life of the mother in a medical emergency. Uh, it uh, is a frontal assault on Roe versus Wade. Uh, I had uh, some concerns because it did not have the exceptions for rape and incest in there, which has been my historical position. But I signed it into law today, uh, recognizing that uh, we're probably not going to have any time soon a more conservative Supreme Court. And if there is a chance to get this case to the Supreme Court for them to consider reversing Roe versus Wade, then uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, I gave it the boost that it needed by signing it into law today. Well, I think there are a number of measures in the pipeline that could very well do that, because you're right. We have a court that I think will take this up, and we could see the end of the era of Roe v. Wade with the issue going back to the states. And we have a majority of the states that, like Arkansas, uh, understand and respect the sanctity of human life. Uh, that's right. And uh, we have become a very, uh, I think it's probably one of the most pro-life states. We passed a series of legislation that uh, is serving to reduce abortion. We're actually one of the states in which uh, I have uh, Planned Parenthood has been defunded so they cannot receive Medicaid uh, reimbursements. So it's a, a very pro-life state, and this reflects it. I think uh, Alabama's passed a similar law, and if both of those work its way up, then you'll have two circuits that will uh, have uh, looked at a, a potential reversal of Roe versus Wade and that will strengthen the argument that the Supreme Court should consider it. Well, Governor, I appreciate you uh, joining us today with this uh, with this good news, breaking news out of Arkansas, and also uh, for uh, moving forward and giving the green light to your state and allowing people to make decisions for themselves as it pertains to the 
how they're going to protect themselves against the coronavirus. So thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be with you. Thanks for all you all do. Thank you. All right. Senator Asa Hutchinson from uh, Arkansas. Look, I, I hope that we will see more states that will follow the lead of Texas, Mississippi, uh, Arkansas, that will just say, look, look, all right, it's been a year now. You know, yes, this is going to continue to be an issue, but we've got to, we've, you know, we've got to put on our big boy pants and we've got to face the reality that we can't hide in a cave forever. Now, I know Joe Biden wants to hide in the basement, wants everybody else there, but we can't do it. And, I, and I'm, I'm quite I'm tired of these people who feel empowered by the by the Biden administration to tell everybody to wear a mask. You know, I'm not going to I'm just not going to I'm not going to be conditioned. And you heard this from Dr. Boston. There's no evidence that these things work. No, No clinical evidence that they work. It only makes people feel better. I'm sorry, I'm not into making people feel better. I want them to be better, but I'm not concerned about making them feel better. All right, uh, I just got word that um, uh, our next guest, a state representative from Arkansas, uh, she is actually on the floor, Senator uh, Representative Robin Lundstrom. She was going to talk about the SAFE Act, which is a, uh, a bill that is uh, deals with the issue of transgenderism. And what's, it, it goes right back to what we were talking about with Senator Rand Paul. This is where the states are pushing back. Uh, we'll probably have to get her on another time because she's right in the middle of debate on the uh, House floor. Uh, but there are 31 bills that are making their way through various states um, aimed at banning these gender transition procedures for minors. Because this is life-altering. It changes life for them. And you, it's not like you can reverse it. There's an addition to that. There's uh, 49 different bills related to women's sports. Uh, there are two privacy protection bills. There are about seven other counseling protection bills because, you know, this is the other thing. The left wants to lock people into this, these young people, lock them into this path of depression, destruction, and not let them out. Misery loves company. And so they don't want these young people to have uh, counseling. And so we've got states pushing back on that. So and all there's there's almost 100 bills moving forward, pushing back against this Biden agenda on transgenderism. So, folks, encouraging, encouraging news. And this is where you can make a difference by weighing in with your state legislature. This is the beauty of our system of government, our federal, our federalist system. Yes, we've got one federal government, but we have 50 state governments that have power and authority over their realm of jurisdiction. And so we can push back. When the federal government gets out of bounds, as it is right now, it is, without question, the way we push back is at the state level. So we've got resources for you on this, and especially you live in Arkansas, uh, you want to weigh in. In fact, I would encourage you to weigh in right now on the SAFE Act, in the state of Arkansas, um, just call if you live in Arkansas, it's called the SAFE Act. And the author of it, as I mentioned, is Robin Lundstrom. Now, there's a good chance this is going to pass, but we're not sure what the governor is going to do. I should have asked him when I had him on the line. Uh, but you need to weigh in with the governor make sure he signs this bill. Simply protecting minors. 
uh, from these hormone treatments and surgical procedures that are uh, irreversible in many cases. So I want to encourage you to uh, um, contact your state representatives and, uh, and weigh in uh, with them on uh, these transgender bills. We've got some resources available for you at um, frc.org. Uh, also, you just go to TonyPerkins.com and you can follow the links over on that. Um, back on the uh, coronavirus. And uh, well, let me let me do this. Um, we've got I've got on the line uh, Kena Gonzalez. He is our uh, state and local director at FRC. And and, and I want I want to pull him in here. And before I leave this topic of these eighty nine plus bills that are making their way through at the state level, uh, I want to pull him in. Kena, uh, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony. It's great to be with you. As you know, we, we were going to have uh, Representative Lundstrom on, and she's tied up in debate on the floor there in Arkansas. But uh, do you have the bill number for the SAFE Act there in Arkansas? Yes, Tony. The SAFE Act in Arkansas is House Bill 1570. All right, so it's 1570, just the SAFE Act, good enough. Call your state representative there in Arkansas uh, and encourage them to support this bill. What, what is the status right now? Tony, the SAFE Act is before the Senate, uh, I'm sorry, it's before the House Public Health Committee and actually Representative Robin Lundstrom, who is the primary author of the bill, is presenting the bill as we speak to the committee. And there are very good questions. We have two pediatricians testifying on behalf of the bill. We have um, uh, Joseph, our own Joseph Backholm just finished testifying for the bill and a fellow brother in Christ, uh, Billy Burley, came from California to describe what it was like for him to attempt uh, when he was young to transition from male to female um, and testifying on behalf of this bill to protect children in Arkansas from being transitioned uh, or subjected to gender transition procedures, whether chemical or surgical, uh, prior to the age of majority. Now. Kana, we have other states that are entertaining uh, similar pieces of legislation. Uh, you want to give us the highlights on those? Yeah, Tony, this really blew up uh, a few years ago. Uh, our listeners probably recall the case of James Younger, a seven-year-old boy in Texas whose father was trying to protect him from being transitioned uh, from male to female. His mother uh, wanted, uh, gave gave little James a female name and was pressuring uh, uh, his father to uh, in a custody battle to allow James to transition. What James's father was observing is that James uh, was a happy little seven-year-old boy who was trying to navigate a very difficult family situation. And, and Tony, this is so often what happens. Children are being uh, asked to make decisions often under very difficult situations that they cannot fully comprehend. And so state legislators all over the country took notice of this. Uh, the following year, a handful of bills were filed trying to address this issue from uh, various perspectives. Last year, 19 states introduced bills, again, trying to address this. This year, 18 states so far have introduced bills addressing this problem. 
Uh, and the SAFE Act is a very reasonable, measured response. It simply says, look, a child is too young before the age of majority to make lifelong decisions uh, with lifelong implications, really committing themselves to a life of medical dependency on hormone treatments and surgery. And so this bill seeks to protect children between uh, 85 and 97% of children who experience some form of gender incongruence. That means as they grow up, they begin to feel oh, it's a little boy who feels like maybe he's a girl or a girl who feels like maybe she's a boy. If they're left alone, the vast majority of them yeah. outgrow it by the time they hit their late teenage years. Right. Uh, are there resources available for folks who want to know more about this? Yes, absolutely, Tony. We've, uh, we have a host of resources on the FRC website. Uh, we have uh, our staff have looked at the research behind this, the medical research, the sociological research. Um, uh, we, we, have, we have resources at FRC.org uh, if you look under human sexuality. And, of course, it's important for people not to just uh, resource themselves but to make their voices heard. Yeah, that's and critical. so I would encourage Absolutely. And so I'd encourage people to sign up at FRCaction.org for our alerts. All when right. a bill like this is coming in your state, we'll let you know. All right, Ken, i got to leave it there. We're out of time. Folks, do that. Go to, uh, you can go to TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org. Uh, there's a detailed uh, version of the bill at TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do and you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.